Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, welcome back. I just want to remind you that you can get all of my homestead science books on my website for a new way of teaching agriculture to today's youth and aspiring homesteaders by focusing on small-scale farming and self-sufficiency. If you are a school or co-op and need invoicing, please feel free to reach out to me directly. Okay, I'm going to get to this intro short and sweet because I have strep throat and a sinus infection, so I'm feeling pretty cruddy. In fact, my sinuses are completely closed off, so my doctor felt that a steroid shot was best. This stresses me out beyond belief because after I had my three-year-old, my body attacked itself and I had to take several rounds of steroids to get it to stop. Now, I'm aware of some great natural remedies for this now, but at the time we had to act fast because I also had like a full abdominal infection going on with it. So I don't regret my choice to do that, but I am, the results, the result was just a really wrecked system Um, that included some extreme weight gain for me, a messed up immune system, my gut flora needed to be totally reset uh, along with, I'm sure, just a whole host of other issues that I'm not even aware of. Um, It's been an uphill battle over the last few years, but I did agree with my doctor that having a single shot uh, would not be as intrusive as several 10-day rounds of oral medication, but I'm still not super happy about it. However, hopefully it'll knock this sickness out that I've had because I went from a bad five-day cold to um, a whole house stomach flu to now this sinus infection. And the sinus infection comes a week after the stomach flu where I still can't eat solid food. So um, I'm hoping to really start having (laughs) some better days soon. Um, However, this last week was the Road Food Convention. I've spoken about this conference in the past and because it's fairly profound for me, having worked in the food safety system for several years in large food plants, I'm intimately familiar with federal food laws. Over the last few years of learning about rogue food, homesteading, and just simply trying to make a living through small scale farming, I'm constantly frustrated with how federal law blocks small producers from succeeding and growing. The hoops that we have to go through is often debilitating and will put farmer, small scale farmers out of business. Um, I hadn't even thought to talk about this, but there is an act going through, I think it's representatives right now. I wish I would have actually been a little bit more prepared for this conversation, but it's called the prime act. And It is trying to make it where the states are in control of the meat production so that meat wouldn't have to be USDA inspected to be able to be sold within the state. Right now, it has to be USDA inspected to be sold both within the state and over state lines, which makes it where small scale producers have limited options for selling their meat and livestock to um, well, their meat basically to customers. 
um, like direct to consumers, um, which is, it takes that supply chain out. It takes out the big conglomerates, not takes them out, but it takes them out of the loop where for those of us who don't want to be reliant on the food chain or the supply chain, can't, sorry if I'm a little bubbly with the cold and everything, but um, it makes it where the state can say meat can be produced at a custom plant, which means there's not a USDA inspector and then sold to a consumer. Currently, I don't, again, I don't remember the stats because I wasn't planning on having this conversation and maybe I'll find them and put them in the show notes. But in the last something like 20 years, there have been zero food illness outbreaks from custom plants. So they're, I mean, they aren't doing this the wrong way. They are keeping their customers safe. And there's no reason why a farmer shouldn't be able to have their meat processed at this plant and then sell it to their friends and neighbors. And so the Prime Act, keep an eye on that one. If you have an opportunity to call a whoever your representatives are, I, I wish I knew if this was in the House or Senate. Um, let me. In fact, you know what? Y'all are here right now with me. Let's just Google it so that I'm giving you correct information on this. The way to remember it, prime, like prime rib, I don't know. Maybe I'm a dork like that, but. Found it on, it's govtrack.us. I've seen this one before where you can track what's happening. It's being ran through by Thomas Massey, which I've heard him speak at a rogue food convention before. And he's a representative, so I would say that this is in the House. Um, so yes, if you have an opportunity to support this act in any way, it's how we can have a more secure food system. It's beyond helpful. There's a YouTube out there where you could watch Joel Salatin speak on it in the House. Um, anyways, like I said, I wasn't planning on talking about this, so, um, but I, I hope that it just gives you something to think about kind of fires you up on wanting to give us a better food system because our current one's broken and this is a step towards fixing that um so anyways where was i um now one thing is that there are so many exemptions that could make some of these practices more attainable but the USDA, FDA, isn't, they aren't issuing a white sheet outlining all the things you could do on the, under the radar and still be legal because they want you to have to go through that system. Um, there's all sorts of loopholes for small-scale farmers. Um, and through my commercial homestead series, I am planning to outline all of the exemptions that I can to help, that I can find to help the small-scale farmer. Now, what is commercial homestead, you ask? It's what I consider a homestead that is feeding a family and turning a planned profit. So when I say a planned profit, I'm meaning that I'm not just selling my excess, but raising certain products for a profit. Um, and the difference from a commercial homestead versus commercial agriculture is that um, 
I'm not using those same practices. Animals are not being raised in confinement settings. Crops are not monoculturally grown. We have a permaculture model as often as possible. So I'm putting together a series of commercial homestead information on how you can run a homestead business um, beyond um, just, like I said, selling your excess and making a little extra cash, like that you have a planned business model. So as a reminder, um, I won't be airing a second episode of my podcast weekly on a weekly basis anymore, as we'll be recording a video podcast slash how-to on our YouTube channel on Fridays. It's going to be a little bit vlog, a little bit teaching, a little bit how-tos. It's going to be really fun. Kids are planning on getting involved. Uh, My husband's actually planning on getting involved, which we'll see how that goes, you know. (laughs) Um, If you've ever interacted with my husband and I, we can be pretty goofy, Uh, which can be fun. I I need a little bit more goofy in my life. So uh, that'll be aired every Friday right now. You can check out our latest week's episode to take a peek inside of what a commercial homestead pig operation looks like. Um, I'll take, I'll link that episode in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss a single update. So for today's episode, or yes, I have a guest, guests, man, I am so sick. Uh, Nick and Lisa Messner from Sustainable Preparedness. Their family has been teaching about country living for over 18 years. And today we're going to have a really great thought-provoking conversation regarding an off-grid setup. If you're interested in learning or teaching your kids about horsemanship from a world record holding mounted archer, check out Brandy Van Holten's horsemanship course in the show notes. Today, I have Nick and Lisa Meissner from the Ready Life podcast, and I'm so excited to have them on today. So hi, guys. Hi. How are you? Good. So we met at the Modern Homesteading Conference, and I was so excited to get to circle back and chat with you guys because I love what you're doing. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and just kind of, well, let's just, I'd love to hear just about you and your family. Sure. You want to go for it? Um, well, I, I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> we are sustainable preparedness. There's a good place to start. Yeah, that's our business. What does that mean? Well, sustainable preparedness. Um, it's about, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, no, it's fine. It's always like this when I interview couples, cause they're like, well, who's going to start? <laughs> okay. I'll start then. So sustainable preparedness is about a a combination of living a more prepared lifestyle, but what we observed um, with folks that were into being prepared is that they often were focusing on stocking up on stuff, but stuff that you stock up on, it either gets used up or it goes bad eventually. And we really um, wanted to promote a lifestyle of producing what you need. Yes, stocking up is important to get you through Mm -hmm. times when, you know, for instance, with food, you know, we all have winter, got to get through winter and and things like this. But um, just kind of marrying those two concepts of being sustainable as in being able to produce your own essentials, but also marrying that with the preparedness side of things. Because if all you do is grow a garden and have some chickens and eggs and stuff like that, that's not going to put you in a much better position unless you store that food. 
And so that's just from the food side of things. But but um, then also, if you're only storing food, eventually that runs out if you don't know how to produce it. Exactly. Yes. So it's both sides of this coin. And the other thing that we've that we've observed and we were for probably almost the last 20 years or so, we've been involved in uh, education related things to help people move out, relocate from the city into the country where they can live a more uh, agrarian prepared lifestyle. And one thing that we observed is that a lot of times when folks would move into the country or even the folks who are already there, they would be in just as dependent of a condition as the folks who lived in the city. They were still dependent upon the system for mm -hmm. their most basic necessities. We've already mentioned food, but that's not the only necessities of life. There's also things like water and heat and things like this. And then we come to the biggie, which is power. No, it's not a basic necessity of life, but almost everything in our home is dependent upon power because of the way we have our homes set up. Mm -hmm. And so unless you just completely retrofit your home and turn it into an Amish style home, then you kind of need to have a independent source of power, you know, to, if you want your heat system to work, unless it's a wood stove, or if you want your water system to work and things like this. And so that's kind of been our thrust for, for many years now is to help folks with getting their homes set up to be as independent as possible and to not get fixated on just one area. Um, you know, one of the, I love in homesteading circles, there's such a strong emphasis on food, which is awesome because food is a very challenging, time-consuming, tricky, one of those things to take care of. Uh, you know, it's it's something that takes time to learn mm -hmm. and something that we're all still working on. I don't think I know anybody who's completely mastered it. And um, even on the years you think you mastered it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then if you if all you do is focus on food, what do you do if the power goes out and you've lost your water? You know, how are you mm -hmm. going to have food without water and things like this? So just trying to think of your homestead in a holistic sense of the big picture and what is it going to take? What are what systems do I need to survive to be in good shape? And then what can I do to get as independent as possible for those systems? And I love that homesteaders are very independent, freedom focused people like they want to produce and make their and keep their own food. And I love that. And we're just trying to encourage them to think outside of just that food realm to yeah. think that, you know what, you can actually go a while without eating, but mm -hmm. you can't go very long without drinking. And you can go even a shorter period of time without heat. Yeah. So, you know, I was actually just teaching that in my survival class this week. <laughs> there you yes, go. There yep. you go. Survival 101. Yep. Yeah, how does it go? Shelter, water, fire, food. Yep. Yep. You got it. You got it. So we are just, our passion is just to help people learn how to set up their homesteads more independently so they're not so hopelessly dependent upon the power company for their basic necessities of life, either mm -hmm. by setting up their own power system on a budget, by the way, a lot of people think power systems are this mm -hmm 
exorbitant price and they could never attain that. We did it on a shoestring budget. Yep. So we live completely I, off yeah. the grid with a solar oh, power wonderful. system here in, mm -hmm. here in North Idaho, which is yep. not a favorable solar climate. Most parts. It's of not, the but sorry, I worked in real estate up here for several years and there's a lot of off-grid houses. There are, yeah. there are, it's, it's probably, I mean, we've, we've, been in all the parts of the country quite a bit and I've never seen any area that has as many people off-grid as around here but uh, I think it's partly due to the remoteness and how many areas don't have grid power running there and so this is one of the reasons that uh, some folks decide to go off the grid is because the power lines are a couple of miles away and it's going to cost forty thousand dollars to run the power in yeah and I, you know, I, I tell folks, why on earth would you pay $40,000 just for the privilege of receiving a bill every month Right. when you could take just a portion of that, set up a nice off-grid solar power system, or if you've got a, a suitable creek, hydro, whatever, but an mm -hmm. off-grid system and not have another power bill again. For the rest of your life. Right? I think what it is, is people are too complacent on the system and reliant. And then they aren't willing to give up being able to use as much as they want. Like they can't, they don't know how to use things in moderation. True. Yeah, that's true. But you know, the interesting thing, Cody, is I, I know for us, we've lived off the grid for, you know, more than a decade. I was going to say, yeah. He's how been, long have you guys been, been off grid? More... It's been 20, almost 25 years for me. We got Wonderful. married 11 years ago. So I've been off the grid for 11, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, well actually 12, cause I lived off the grid for one year, my senior year of high school. But anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things that we found is a lot of people think that to live off the grid, you have to cut back on your lifestyles dramatically. Um, but that's not the case. You mm -hmm. can set up a power system an off-grid power system that will power all of the modern conveniences you're used to using right now and do it still on a budget. There's strategies and things that we've learned over the course of you know his years of experience mm -hmm. that are ways you can cut your power usage without cutting any of your lifestyle. And wow. you know, and so people say to me, oh well, you know what? you know, this or that. And I'm like, oh no, I've got everything you've got. You walk into my kitchen. I've got all the gadgets and gasmos that any, you know, any cook would prefer to have in her kitchen. And nice. I straightened my hair with a straight iron this morning. <laughs> and, you know, I have a you blow went up on me I because I definitely wasn't doing that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, just that people think that they're going to have to cut back on all of these conveniences mm -hmm. that they're used to. And they don't, you can live off the grid with all of your conveniences and your current lifestyle, but do it on a budget. And that's the one thing that he is exceptionally good at is teaching people how to do that using strategy instead of just throwing all the money in the world at a big, huge power system or, not being able to do it at all. Which that's what most people these days are doing is they're just yeah. throwing massive amounts of money at yeah. it and putting up these gargantuan systems. But just to give you a, a, a case in point, I was helping a neighbor of ours recently and they were 
they're trying to figure out why their system wasn't working as expected. Why were the batteries draining so fast? So I'm like, well, I think it might have to do with your power usage. And I said, that refrigerator, that's one of those huge, massive French door refrigerators, you know, the kind mm -hmm. of the two doors and then the freezer underneath and all of that. And I said, there's something about that style that everyone that I've looked at uses a ton of power. And so I had them plug it into one of these little kilowatt meters where you can plug it in and it'll tell you how much power it's using. And it was using like 2.3 kilowatt hours a day. And I told them, I said, we live on about three kilowatt hours a day for our entire home. So your wow. refrigerator is using almost what our entire home does in one day. And you could easily use a, uh, find a refrigerator, just, you're still going to have a fridge freezer unit. Mm -hmm. It might be a little bit smaller, but not dramatically smaller. And you can find one that's way more efficient that will um, just use a fraction of the power. And it doesn't even, it'll probably cost even less, but it's just about shopping for the right appliance. Um, you okay. know, when, when you want to use something, it's about making good decisions. there, looking at the energy tag and, and things like that. So that's just, and One just for the example. record, we have a fridge freezer yeah. and we have a freezer out in the shop too that we store. That's stuff good in. to know. We, you know, we're pork producers and our freezers, I mean, that's actually, you know, for us, our biggest one, we don't even mind being on the grid. We want a backup system because if the power goes out, we, and we're, and you know, we okay. talked about it, we live right over the mountain from each other. Sometimes I lose power for a week at a time. Mm-hmm. And we're having to run a generator to be able to keep all of our freezers going so that we aren't losing both our personal meat, but the meat that we sell to our customers. Right. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. That's very true. So that's the power side of things, which, you know, like I said at the beginning, power is not a basic necessity of life. It's just that we've kind of gotten ourselves to a situation where when one of your when one or more of your basic necessities of life is dependent upon electricity then electricity kind of becomes a basic necessity right and so that's the situation that we're in but you know i, I think of water systems that's another big one that people just don't often think about mm -hmm. you're not going to be growing any of your food or raising any of your pigs or your chickens right. if you don't have water like that's just right. not going to happen so so the number one thing I could tell you, there's all kinds of fancy water systems we could talk about that are that will give you great ways of having pressurized water in your home independently, independently <laughs> and all of that. But the one, the first thing that I would recommend that anybody do if they have a well, which most likely most people in the country have a well, mm -hmm. as long as you have a well, put a hand pump on it. Yep. Every yep. Every well needs a hand pump. And that's kind of your first step. Get that squared away. Yes, it's not going to be convenient when you lose your power. You're going to have to haul water in in a bucket or if it's not cold outside, run a garden hose into the house or something like that. <laughs> but at least you're going to be able to get water out of the ground. Yeah. Well, yeah. we have a 3000 gallon cistern uphill from us nice. and then we have the well. So we can when we don't have power, we can pump hand pump up to the well and then or up to the cistern. And then we have enough water pressure at the house. I can shower when we have a power outage. There nice. you go. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, That's, that's awesome. Great. So that's, I feel like that's the first step. But mm -hmm. for us, the the ultimate is being able to have running water, consistent running water, regardless water. of the grid. And so, 
that's going to, if your water source is a well, then that's going to require an electric pump. Um, you know, if, unless you want to be going out hand pumping, you know, what you have set up that works. That's, that's it works. Great. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for not just an emergency temporary thing, if you want a, a system that's all the time independent, then you're probably going to want to have a electric pump on it. And which means you're going to need to have a independent source of electricity to power that pump. Doesn't necessarily have to take a lot, but you got to have something. And so once again, that's why I say that the whole power thing, it's kind of the kingpin. It's what mm -hmm. operates so many different systems in our house. And then of course, with, with heat, um, thankfully, a lot of folks, at least in this area and in a lot of other rural areas, do heat with wood. That's awesome. There's no mm -hmm. better source of heat than a wood stove, um, you know, or a wood cook stove. Yeah, I was about to say, my stove. favorite is the wood cook stove. Cooking on a wood cook stove is like nothing I've ever done before. And I think everything tastes better. But <laughs> the cool thing about a wood cook stove is that with, a, with one fire, you can cook your food, bake your food, you can heat your home. And you can actually heat hot water too, mm -hmm. um, with just one fire. You're talking and a pressurized hot water. Yeah, system. a pressurized hot water. System. We actually yeah. lived okay. in the first two years on on just a wood cook stove, and we okay. absolutely loved it. We had hot. We had so so much hot water. <laughs> it was <great>. fabulous <laughs> in the winter. Yeah, in the winter. Now in the summer, obviously, got um, more creative. Yeah, and we did. We had hot water in the summer too, but. Yeah, it was really that's, that's a question. So you do you have a wood cook stove as your all the time or do you have two options in your home? I wish. Oh, <laughs> so that was in our previous home had a wood cook stove in our current home. It's actually kind of a temporary home. It's it's mm. a North Idaho special <laughs> that has given us a place to live while we paid the property off nice. and now we're saving up to rebuild. It's a, uh, it's not very well constructed. And so we haven't, um, the wood cook stove will come when we rebuild right now. We just have a regular wood stove, okay. Blaze King, which I, I like Blaze King. So yeah. they, they hold a fire a long time. And I cook and dehydrate on my, on my wood, you know, on our wood stove now, but I had a colleague in the real estate office that was a broker for Blaze Kings. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. But yeah. It, so with the it's with a range boiler thermo siphon system basically it's where you have a water coil inside the firebox and you could even do this in a regular wood stove so mm -hmm. if we wanted to we could hook this up on our blaze king even but um, mm -hmm. basically you run a stainless steel inch and a quarter tube that's 180 does 180 degrees in the firebox and then you have a heavy duty tank looks kind of like a water heater tank that sits, I've actually seen people use water heater yeah. tanks and oh okay that. that's true so, and yeah. it sits uphill from the stove a little bit doesn't have to be way up like on the second floor but just a, a few feet up above the stove and then what happens is heat wants to do what go what what direction does heat go right yeah and so the heat rises in the pipe up to one port which pulls cold water in from the other port from and it starts this port. circular action where within oh, okay. a couple of hours you have 40 gallons of piping hot water all winter long. That's and nice. Yeah, it's super nice. And so then in the summertime, you can, if you want to, you can plumb in a propane water heater 
to take over in the summertime if you want. Or what we did actually is we uh, plumbed in a DC heating element in the range boiler tank where it would burn off our excess solar power in the summer because we got more power than we can handle in the summer. And so we could burn off our excess power into the water tank and we end up with a tank full of hot water at the end of the day. Nice. Because that would be a concern. I mean, and especially North Idaho, none of us have ACs. Of course, ACs run on electricity, but you know, you're running a hot water heater that runs off wood. That can be a lot. <laughs> yeah. We actually do have an AC. Yeah, we have. Oh, okay. Yeah. AC here. Um, are, well, we I don't. <laughs> it's, it's a window, little window powered AC. It's, oh. I'm not talking a whole HVAC yeah. system, yeah. but yeah. Window we do have one of those AC. that will like on the heat of the day, we turn it on and we all hang out in the living room, but yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And so that's totally feasible to do off the grid. Um, mini split systems, they work as well. They've Those are wonderful. Really nice energy efficient AC units that can even run directly off solar that they've mm-hmm. designed. I mean, the technology that people have come out with these days is just phenomenal. But that's there awesome. are a lot of good options for off grid power systems nowadays. Yep. Making a note of that one. I actually get asked about that one a lot. AC and an off grid. And I didn't even think about the mini splits because those are so small. Well, they're, they're efficient, but one of the things that makes them efficient. So you're not dealing with this huge blower that's forcing air throughout the whole house, like in an HVAC system. Mm -hmm. Also the unit itself is, doesn't consume as much power, but another factor is that you're room specific then. So you're not necessarily feeling like you've got to keep the entire house at this temperature you can say, okay, this is the room that we're in during the heat of the day. So we're going to keep this room cool and we'll not worry about the rest. We'll open the windows up that evening and cool yeah. down the rest. Well, and that's like our basement is stays nice and cool. So we just run in the living room and we the AC that we have in the window is in a window that's right in between the living room and our bedroom. So we can just use a fan mm-hmm. to move nice. it throughout the house. But yeah, that's yeah. a really good idea because we've been looking at some options, but we have a... We have a heat more system. So mm-hmm. it's a boiler, or it's for our heater. It's our a boiler out in the shop that mm-hmm. we can just put 30 inch logs in, start mm-hmm. it in the morning and it runs uh, radiant water heat through the house. So we have all the ducting and we're like, what would it be to just put in an AC? But we're looking at some longer term options as well. So we did have a guy, electrician come look at it and he was like, well, you have the ducting system. So it would be really easy, but... Right. Uh, we like our heat more and then that's one that it does need to run off of electricity. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the circulating pump in a, in a radiant floor system, there's some mm-hmm. really efficient circulating pumps that don't use much power. So. Okay. That's so interesting. This is your off grid guru guy. He's had years and years and years of experience working with hundreds of people setting up their power systems. So that's that's really his area of expertise is power systems but it bleeds but into it all the other things we're often dealing with water systems and things mm-hmm. like that because all these things are dependent mm-hmm. upon the power so yeah absolutely so what is you said that you know it's pretty your house looks similar to everyone else what is like you know a daily power usage look like in your guys's home like what appliances are you running and stuff 
Well, we've got quite the high-end office since we do, <laughs> um, we used to do video production, like really back when DVDs were still a thing, uh-huh. <laughs> we would produce, we would film and produce all of our own DVDs. And so oh, wow. we've got a high-end office um, with all the equipment and duplicators and printers and, you know, the big screens. Um We've got, we've got studio two, lights on right now. Yeah, we've got studio <laughs> lights and the whole nine yards. So we've got all of that. Um, we have an infrared sauna, actually, red oh. light um, that we use every day, pretty much in the winter. Usually the every summer. every yeah. evening for about half an hour a day, sometimes an hour, because sometimes we'll have kids. the kids hop in for half an hour. I've been hour. seeing a lot of that lately. What yeah. is the benefits of those? Oh. Sidetrack, I know. Where do but... we start? Okay. So of detox course, detoxing. Okay. Like the number one thing, your body has a few ways that it dumps toxins and toxins build up in our systems just from day-to-day stress. But mm-hmm. unfortunately in our society, we are bombarding ourselves with loads of toxins, environmental, toxins. environmental toxins. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I could so chase that rabbit trail and going to anyway punchline though is that when you're the the type of sweat when you're in a sauna my understanding is this is what i've been told i'm I'm not Uh an expert in this but this is what they say is that the type of sweat is very different than the type of sweat when you're like exercising or it's hot outside and and you're sweating it's it's a i think it's larger drops of sweat that carries heavy metals and things like that more um, your system yeah better better than and, regular sweat and the infrared particularly it my understanding is that it it can actually penetrate deeper than it in other words it goes deeper than just the skin where it helps the internal organs to also okay like let go of toxins and start dumping so they actually recommend when you're doing infrared saunas to do some kind of a binder like charcoal or diatomaceous earth or bentonite, um, bentonite clay. clay. I couldn't think of that one. Okay. Um, to drink some of that either just before or right after you get out of an infrared sauna because it will help to bind with those toxins internally and help your body to get rid of them. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of benefits but we run our infrared sauna off our power system. The other thing is up here in the long winters. Oh yeah. We it we we got this thing last fall and last winter, I don't know how it was for you, but for us it was the longest winter I ever remember up here. We had snow on the ground from like mid-October till April. Yeah. I've never seen What did it. we hit like negative 27 at one point or something? I mean, pretty low. I think we were 21 below. Yeah. yeah, I think we got 21. But I'm sure there were areas that were colder. Yeah. But it was a long winter. And, uh, you know, we, for those that aren't familiar with this area, it's very cloudy and the <laughs> days are very short and it lasts a long time. Winter lasts a long time. Yeah. And we're all and, very remote. Yes. Yep. And so yeah. it can get kind of old. And yeah. a lot of people suffer with, seasonal disorders where you know they you're just not getting much much sunshine and so we found that the sauna helps so much psychologically mm-hmm. because it just every day it feels like we've got half an hour on a beach in the caribbean that's <laughs> i mean you close your eyes and that's what it feels like oh i love it well i actually got really excited just now hearing about this cuz 
the whole reason we even started our journey is my husband was diagnosed with liver disease after he got home from Iraq. Wow. It was a couple years later, but he, I mean, they told him in stage, get your affairs in order. Wow. Um, that you have in stage liver cirrhosis. And that was almost seven years ago now. Wow. Um, and he had a biopsy with like a scope where they actually looked at his liver in January and they told him, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it because you have a fully healed liver. Wow. That's awesome. So, I mean, it shows that what we've done have, has helped, but I'm always looking for other ways because we still do notice things with him. Like, um, you know, if he's having a hard time sleeping and he takes, you know, some essential oils or melatonin or something like that, it builds up in his system. Um, he doesn't like release things as easily or, um, you know, he can't, he's always, um, deficient in vitamin D. Hmm. And so, you know, that affects him in the wintertime and stuff. So, um, I'm excited. I want to look into this more because I've been seeing a lot of that and, you know, this is a wonderful way that we all learn together. So, yes, I I would say I, I like the kind that has visible light. I don't, I don't care as much for the infrared saunas that are such a narrow band where it's only the infrared. Ours is a red light where it's, it includes, it's kind of more broad spectrum. It's mostly near infrared, but it also bleeds over into mid and far. And then it also on the other side bleeds over into visible light into the red spectrum. So it's um, nice, but yeah, so we run that. Um, We are, of course, are running water throughout the day. I mentioned and, all of my hair accessories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do. And you have... blow dry. That's what I need to I know. I blow dry. Awesome. Great my hair, curl it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. We um we've got two kids and right. we have one who I would not be surprised if he became an electrician someday because he's always plugging things in and trying to wire things and like <laughs> all that. Well, we so, actually have one that's an electrician's apprentice at this point. He's 18. Oh, wow. so, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Nice. So yeah, almost any, most of the things you can think of, you know, at night taking showers, uh, we have, I think one of the kids has an electric toothbrush, um, you know, just we iron clothes every once in a while if we need to, or toss them in the dryer, the clothes dryer to self iron. Doesn't be like iron. We don't. No, it's iron very happening. rare. I, I use my, my flat iron. iron to iron collars. Yeah, yeah right. right. <laughs> but we do own an iron. It's used seldom, but it can be. And, you know, all that. But I will say, so there's four main appliances that are kind of do nots with mm-hmm. an off-grid system. If you want to do it with a reasonable a budget. budget. Now you can yeah. do, the sky's the limit. Anything. You can do anything uh-huh. you want if, if you have an unlimited budget. But a reasonable but person, yeah. With a reasonable yeah. budget, four things, those four things would be an electric water heater, an right. electric oven or range, an electric clothes dryer, and an electric like HVAC system, um, whole home, you know, forced air, H, uh, heat and AC system. Those four things... They just consume massive amounts of electricity, and it would be cost prohibitive to build something big enough to power them, especially in a climate like up here. Might not be quite as bad down in Arizona, but mm-hmm. what the nice thing is that we have great alternatives for each of those. Mm-hmm. You know, for yeah. a water heater, propane, it works perfectly. 
and it's exactly the same user experience as an electric one. Also, the wood cook stove, the wood cook stove, mm -hmm. siphon system, right? Solar water heaters. There's a number of options there for cooking. You could use propane once again, uh, very same user experience. In fact, mm -hmm. I like it better than an electric oven or range. Yeah, I like my propane range, but I always, with that one, what I think about is if everything were to shut down tomorrow, yeah, I would be able to harness more solar and probably not be able to get the propane truck to my house. Right. Mm -hmm. So so the, the thing that we try and do is we use propane as a convenience right mm -hmm. now to maintain a perfectly normal lifestyle. But we try and always keep in the back of our mind, what is our backup if we didn't have propane? Now, having said that, we have a thousand gallon propane tank. And even though we're using propane for heating our water, cooking our food and drying our clothes, um, we still have with that thousand gallon tank about a three year supply of propane. Yeah. So that's pretty that's good. That's our 300 gallon is over a year and we use it for the stove and something else. I can't remember. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. but still. I mean, I, just I to like give perspective it. for listeners. Yeah. 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 I, I like where your head is though, because that's what we really want to be thinking is what is, what are some long-term solutions if we couldn't get propane? And so, you know, with the heating water bit, no, you don't have to have hot water. It's it's nice, but it is something you could live without. But the range mm -hmm. boiler system with the wood cook stove, that that's certainly an option. You could heat water on pots on the stove. Yeah, for I mean, cooking. that still gets you a bath and washing mm -hmm. your dishes. So. Yeah. yeah. And for cooking, you know, our, our um, primitive or non-electric or, you know, completely independent backup is either cooking on top of our wood stove or wood cook stove. And then my favorite still the wood cook stove. I love that wood cook stove and we will have one just as soon as we possibly can. Again. Yeah. But anyway, that was, that's really awesome. Right. For drying your clothes though, I will say that is one thing where I would recommend that everybody stick with a high tech, the, the technology is just phenomenal for drying clothes. It's um, state of the art. It involves a line and some wooden pins. It's solar and, powered. Yeah, solar powered yeah. clothes dryer. And <laughs> it's so, a little bit of wind. <laughs> yeah, we did that for a number of years. For many years, I we well, did. and in the winter time, it's wood stove powered. So yep. exactly. Yep, exactly. and it adds some humidity to your air, which gets so dry in the house in the winter time. So there's in, that, you know, humidifier. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Right. Yes. <laughs> and then for, so that's, you know, with drying your clothes, obviously same thing. Propane would be the convenient option. Air drying yeah. is a great alternative. And then for um, heating your home, of course, as we've already discussed, wood stoves are the, I, I just feel like they're the way to go, but there are other options. Like there are some fuel oil stoves that are completely non-electric. Kuma right down in um, Carrywood, I think it is. Mm -hmm. They make wood stoves, but then they also make fuel oil stoves that look just like a wood stove, and they're completely gravity flow, completely non-electric. As long as your fuel oil tank is outside the house, just at least a foot or two above the stove, then it's gravity flow into there. We had a friend that had one, and they I think he said he used a, a little less than a gallon a day through the winter. Yeah. And so that's not too bad. It's a great convenient option if somebody really didn't want wood stove or if they wanted a backup to their wood stove for those. We have times. a diesel. We can just flip a switch and it goes from our wood stove to our diesel. Cool. 
And nice. and that's nice for those times when you need to take a trip in the wintertime and you don't want to drain the pipes in your house, you know? Yeah. So things like that, or there's propane direct vent stoves where there's some that are non-electric, Cozy and Empire make some non-electric options there. So there are other options too, but I just like wood stove, wood for right. heat personally. Well, and it's, it's, you can get it no matter what. It's sustainable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for Thank AC, you. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> for AC, you know, like you mentioned many, it's entirely feasible to do with, to not even need AC up here, especially yeah. if you have a well-insulated house mm-hmm. using strategy, once again, working smart, not hurt, not you know, focusing on working harder, not harder. Yeah. And, um, you know, opening your windows at night to cool the house down and then close Mm -hmm. down, button the hatches during the day, you can do really well with a well-insulated house here, not in all climates though. So you get down South and it's going to be pretty miserable. (laughs) And so there are yes, AC options there as well. Like we mentioned, many split systems, Mm -hmm. things like that are an option as well. So, yeah, and of course, the summers we've had last couple of years up here, there's a few days where it is bad. Yep. But even with that, our window AC doesn't do the job. We load up and go into the mountains. Yep. Or you to can load lake. up and go down to the lake. Yeah. <laughs> so we usually <laughs> do. Or I guess it'd be people, the river for you. People at the lake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we like to avoid the people, but we're, yeah, I mean, we're walking distance to the Kootenai here. So nice. Very nice. Yeah, we usually use it as an excuse to go up in the mountains and huckleberry pick or something. Nice. And I mean, as soon as you get, you know, another 500 feet elevation, the temperature drops 20 degrees. So, yeah, which where we're at here, we're down in the valley. So we're only at like 16, 1700 feet. Hmm. And then, you know, as soon as we leave our house, we immediately start climbing. So got it. Nice. Very cool. Pretty lucky there. It's a little bit of a banana belt right here because the river running through the valley holds the temperature all winter long too. That's nice. So we have a almost a month longer growing season than like Sandpoint. Yeah. That is so nice. It is very nice. We got lucky over here. But so, um, I mean, it seems like you guys have a pretty standard life i mean you still have to walk around and remind your kids to turn off light switches <laughs> well Sometimes. you know or do you just have well-behaved kids <laughs> well no we're, we're we have kids <laughs> we're using very efficient light bulbs you know so we've which almost everybody has these days led mm-hmm. lights and so they're not using that much power but i i think it's more so do we have to no but we do to a certain extent, and I think it's just kind of part of our lifestyle of if you don't need it, why use it? Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're not going to be in that room for, if you're coming right back, no big deal. But if you're going to be out of that room for most of the day, just turn the light off. You so know? the old yeah. adage still stands true. Waste not, want not. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, whether you're on the grid or whether you're off the grid, either yeah. way, it still counts. And yep. turning that light off behind you as you walk out the door is just a smart idea. So, you know, and I mean, it saves on your power bill. If you do mm-hmm. live on the grid, just turn the lights off when you walk out of a room, you know? <laughs> right. But yeah. Which, you know, for, for somebody who's considering possibly at some point in time mm-hmm. going off the grid, 
the best thing that you can do right now is to start working on becoming more energy conservative. And that means looking at your appliances when your washing machine goes out, choose the most efficient one you can find that's okay. reasonably priced. Yeah. When your fridge goes out, choose the most efficient one you can. And and then habits like not wasting power. We waste so much power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even even things like like water, you know, I know this one is kind of beat to death, but turning the water off when you're brushing your teeth. Yeah. You know, just little things can add up. And when you start making that part of your habit, the waste, not want, not lifestyle, then you can really get, um, that's probably one of the, the biggest things that somebody has to do if they want to go off the grid with a reasonable budget is getting their power usage under control. And if you can do that, then the rest is easy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I even think of some of our habits, like, you know, when we homeschool in the mornings. I work with my teenagers first thing in the mornings and I let my um, three and five-year-old watch something on TV so that they're entertained so that I can work on algebra, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we forget. And that TV stays on even while through teaching the other kids and teaching the littles, they aren't even watching it anymore. My husband's sitting in the living room and it's playing Mickey Mouse, you know, (laughs) I'm like, are you enjoying that show? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And, Not that we even need TV anyways, but I have a tourist toddler. And if I can get anything to entertain him for longer than 30 seconds, I am on board. <laughs> and, you know, in the summertime, like with the solar system, we've got so much extra power. It's it, mm-hmm. it, it's pointless, almost pointless, but it's the wintertime where it yeah. counts. And yeah. so if those habits, it's hard to relearn them every year. And so if you can kind of keep them going, even through the summer when it is pointless, then it really helps you out come that winter. That's good advice. So you guys have a program that of some sort to teach this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we have a weekly podcast, actually, where we delve into a lot of these things. In fact, I think you were mentioning air conditioning is a question mm-hmm. that you get a lot about. We did a podcast all about that off-grid air nice. conditioning. All your options yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah. So our podcast is called The Ready Life and it's thereadylife.com. And uh, we've got a number of different episodes growing every week there. Um one resource I would point you to, one free resource for your listeners, is a little ebook we did that's called What You Can Do Now to Start Going Off the Grid. And it's some simple things that you can start implementing. And it kind of drills down. One of the okay. things that it drills down on is energy efficiency, like we've been discussing here today. And but it talks about some other things as well. And you can get that totally for free if you go to thereadylife.com forward slash off grid now. And that's all one word, no spaces, just the readylife.com forward slash off grid now. And you can download that. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I link all that in the show notes so that everybody can find you guys and learn from you because I mean, I have learned so much and been validated in so many of our choices today (laughs) that I really, I'm excited for other people to be able to hear what you have to say and have, hopefully have some of their questions answered. That's awesome. Um, so at the end of all of my episodes, I ask everybody what keeps grow. Ah, that was wonderful. I <laughs> asked everybody, what does keep growing mean to you? Hmm. Good. 
Any words of wisdom? <laughs> you know what? I I get the best answers for this, yeah. even when like the first answer, and I, I sometimes I like to explain it too, but my whole podcast is about helping you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. And I get a lot of the same answer first. And then their second thought is like beautiful gems. And so. <laughs> well, I think when I think of, um, well, ask it one more time. <laughs> what does keep growing mean to you? Keep growing. So I think of, um, I think of how many times in, in our journey, um, living off the grid, um, trying to become more sustainable and wise in our choices, how many times we've struggled with things like overwhelm or, you know, feeling like we're just not, you know, we've got these big aspirations and these dreams that we want to reach. And sometimes you can feel frustrated that you're making such slow progress. And I guess the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was, the journey of a thousand steps begins with the very first one and just recognizing that this is all a journey. And, you know, some people look at us and think, oh, they must have arrived. And we haven't, <laughs> we really haven't. We are a work in progress, just like everyone else around us. And um, so, yeah, I guess that's, you know, that's what that's what I think of when I think of keep growing, keeps taking that one, that next step, just the next step. Just think about that next one and keep the dream in view. Um, but take it one step at a time. I love that. That makes so much sense. I learn every time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything yeah. you want to add to that? I think that that's that I don't think I can think of anything better than that because so many times folks are overwhelmed. It's so true. And yeah, that's, you know, that, that saying the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step, but really I, I do think it's all about the next step because that's, that's wherever you're at in this journey, whether you're at the first step or step mm -hmm. 5,425, you know, <laughs> it's the next step that counts and keeping on moving in the direction that you're trying to go, having a plan and, and yeah. Not, and not forgetting to have joy in the journey because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we can get stressed out and then we're just, you know, it's like, why are we doing this? You know, a lot of it is so that we can have um, time with our families so we can make a meaningful difference yeah. um, in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And so to, to make sure that with each step that there's joy in the journey. And to not compare yourself yeah. to others that you see on YouTube or, <laughs> or wherever on social media, because it can be so discouraging when you see people that seem like they've got everything put together. Maybe they do, but probably they don't, you know? And mm -hmm. you just, that's, that's a one-way street to nowheresville. <laughs> yep. And so you just have to focus on doing the best you can with what you've got. I love that. You know, I make a joke every year. I grew up as a hunting guide and there have been years that we ate tag soup because you just <laughs> don't find anything. And you know, I'm always reminding myself that we're still learning. Like, even though, I mean, I feel really confident in my hunting skills. There are years that we don't get anything. I'm confident in my gardening skills. And there's years that my cows get out and I've been a cattle rancher longer than I was 
a gardener and my cows still enjoyed my tomatoes more than I did. So (laughs) (laughs) it's, um, yeah, I, I like that. And I was just talking about that this week, um, on social media that we're living these, this life with our kids that so many people haven't. And, you know, my husband was saying like, you know, kids, as soon as we're done butchering all the chickens, I'll spend some time with you. And I said, why don't you just take the kids out and spend time with them while you're butchering the chickens? And that was my picture that went on social media this week is a picture of my three-year-old holding two plucked chickens and he is proud as pie and had the best day of his life, you know? (laughs) So, well, I really appreciate you guys coming on today. I've learned so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. And I will let you know when this uh, comes out. All right. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. Okay, you too. Bye. 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 Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, please head over to your favorite podcast player and leave a comment and review. This helps me to know what you're enjoying and helps others find an episode that can help them. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at The Homestead Education and Instagram at homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at thehomesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing!